Welcome to F the Diet podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be here with Patricia. Trish, as I say, she is a personal development coach and a self-love coach. And she is wonderful. She has so many poetries. You're going to be delighted to be with her. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you for the lovely introduction. And thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. I just read this week one poem she did about the fridge. And it's everything to do with after diet. So let's get it started like this. Can you tell us your poem? I can indeed. So it's a recent poem just written at the weekend, and it's called My Fridge. My fridge, my friend, standing proud and tall against that cream-colored wall. Yes, you heard right. My fridge, my friend. I shared with it all my emotion, and it gave me its devotion. The door opened, its light went on, and a knees over me came upon, washing over me, comforting me. Then it gave me what I needed to bury my unlovableness, my heaviness, my weakness, my fridge loved me. It was always there for me and me in its presence feeling so small. It was as if it held my life story within so much emotional attachment in that opening. But for an emotional growth and development trend, eventually all toxic relationships find an end. So with it, I did learn to let go. Something I always down deep did know the esteem in which I held it, I knew just wasn't right. So I had to find me a different, more positive kind of light. It took time, compassion, energy, consistency, and empathic synergy. But now I'm glad I worked on building that bridge between me and my emotionally fueled fridge. Now it stands tall against that wall what lies within has a more positive enthrall. Of my emotions, I am now more in control. And in my life, my fridge, well, it plays an all-round, more healthier role. <laughs> well done. It is so good and uh, it says so much. We actually need to stop and really absorb everything you said. I love poetry because they uh, touch our emotions. If we stop a little bit in between the lines, there is so much more. It's always what I think about poetry. It's, maybe it's not for everybody poetry. It can touch everybody that is able to listen. This feeling of um, running into the fridge when you feel some discomfort, anxiety, or anything in between, and just um, food buffering down the emotions you are feeling, but leave you empty at the end, leave you with guilt, leave you with, uh, is one addiction. And I think we all experience this in life. And 
Thank you so much in, uh, to have a better light and self-development and self-love. That means everything is um, a journey of self-love that we go through and we can make good choices for ourselves. And that's exactly what your poem says. So that's why I was so fascinated. Tell me about self-love because you are a self-love coach. What made you turn to self-love? Tell me a little bit of your backstory. Well, I think, Mariana, I never felt I loved myself. So my emotions were all over the place. I wasn't in control of my emotions. That poem was a challenge, actually. Some, a friend of mine said, Patricia could write about anything. She could even write about the fridge. And in fact, I said, challenge accepted. And I'm delighted about what came out because it was therapeutic. Now, as you said earlier on, Robert Frost is a, a, a poet, and he said, um, a poetry is, po when a, an emotion finds a thought, and the thought finds words. So it can be very therapeutic to write. So creative writing in poetic fashion, or not, as the case may be, it doesn't have to rhyme, it can be prose. So the writing of the fridge was like, it was that story of my, it's like my life of having that relationship with food that wasn't so good, as you said, that eating, as Freud said, I think that when you overeat, it's, it's about trying to fill a, a void, that feeling of emptiness. And I think when I started my coaching journey, if you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it was a revelation for me because obviously we need the, as human beings, the physiological, we need to, um, we need shelter, we need food, we need water to survive. But then after that, that love and belonging. And I have a wonderful Irish, big Irish family and I love Ireland and I go back a lot and it's wonderful to have a, a wonderful family. But for some reason, Growing up, I, I didn't feel like I belonged. I, I didn't feel a connection, but there is, it, it's not about what happens to us. It's about how we perceive what happens. So it, it's more about me than anybody else. And there's no, for me, there's no blame or criticism or anything or judgment. It is what it is. But from that came a, a sense of not loving myself. So it can happen in childhood. The interesting thing about physiological needs we kind of see when they're deprived so if you don't eat enough you can be malnutrition you know when you um haven't got shelter you can end up homeless but the emotional needs not being met and are invisible the, the consequences are invisible and but what does happen is behaviors but the behavior when i did nlp Back in 2009, one of the first presuppositions of NLP was behind every behavior is an intention and the behavior is not the person. And I think that is that was a breakthrough for me. It was separating the behavior from the person. But we as human beings in society, I believe, are not the best at doing that. We kind of say, like, for example, if I said, Mariana, you annoyed me how that lands for you. But if I said, Mariana, your behavior annoyed me. There's a disassociation from the person who we truly are. And I think even with children, if we could adopt this more kind of 
looking at the behavior, not the person, not getting them entangled because the behavior is coming from maybe a, a need perceived as not being met. It doesn't mean that the parents are not doing the best they can with what they have. And that's fine. And my parents did, you know, but it's just about how a child perceives something is how it's happening. Yes. Yeah, so, so well done. And I think the first thing call my attention is self-love is a process as you told, and we don't learn at home you not feeling like you belong. You are like many of us. Uh, I probably, I probably, I also didn't felt I belong and I had to move country and everything because I, I had to find the people that uh, was in my, my, my crowd, my speed. Not that I don't love people from Brazil, but I, I just want more. I want different. I want more. But with this, I move with myself. I carry with me all the problems I had inside of me. I thought moving country would stop. And I did have to go to a um, self-love journey. And I think that's, um, that's a journey for life. We don't do one time and it's done. But when people were read done and help us to do it in a faster way, that's incredible. So I, I love your work. I love uh, you speeding up one of the most important thing in the life of someone. This thing about the behavior and the person, I, I couldn't agree more. It's just one behavior, <laughs> one wrong behavior maybe, but uh, the person is different. Wh what do you think when people say like, when the person do something wrong, now they show who they really are. Do you agree with that? When they do something wrong, that's an interesting phrase because it's only wrong or right as perceived by the person who's experiencing the behavior. But for me, the biggest thing is separating the behavior and the person. And it's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that I have been working on. But also like the self-love journey, everything is a journey. It's a process of... Mm. Um, it, it, small steps every day to the bigger yeah. destination really because remember we're laying down habits and behaviors in our brain and the neural pathways one of the greatest books I read that really helped me was the super brain book by Deepak Chopra and Rudolf E. Tanzi that changed my world it's like the bible my bible of my brain, <laughs> my brain. Because the neurons that wire together, fire together. Mm. I'll tell you an inter interesting, funny story that my family laughed at for years. And it is funny. Now, I was like a 10 pound baby. So I was never going to be petite, you know, really. Although people, I suppose, are that are born big, bigger babies. But we laughed. There was a biscuit, a baby's biscuit called Farley's Rusks. But we, I come from a farming background in Ireland. In, a, in the countryside, beautiful growing up, the freedom, the space. And my mom, obviously, and dad working in a farm is nonstop. My, there's seven of us. So that was wow. nonstop keeping a home <laughs> and a house. But there was a kind of a joke that Patricia was quiet when she was eating. <laughs> <laughs> and these Farley's Rust Biscuits, I ate 
a lot of apparently. <laughs> and my mom, if I was dying, da, 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 or I was acting up or something, give me a Farley's Russ. Now we laughed at that for years, but in my coaching journey and obviously learning more about the neural pathways and how we as kids can associate one thing with another thing and sometimes emotions. Now, again, I reiterate, there is no blame. There's no judgment. There's no criticism. People do the best they can. Bless her. My mom is an amazing woman, you know, and I could imagine. But again, it's the awareness of knowing what's going on. Mm. Because if we know, Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. Mm. So it's that awareness of what's going on. So if like people, if they knew that by, if I needed attention and you gave me a Farley's Rusk, that was connecting in my brain yes. as comfort from need. This was the comfort I, you know, my mom wouldn't have done it, mm. you know, but we don't know. So that was probably when I was writing the fridge that I remember going home because I've been in London 26 years, but I remember my dad saying, every time you come home, you open the fridge. <laughs> I have to make sure there's food in the fridge. That you guys it, are okay. <laughs> we also came from a leftover. You know, the leftovers were tastier the, the day after. Yeah. Than, so it was kind of like, what's in the fridge? And obviously home cooking and whatever. But I remember that writing this poem and I laugh. My father's passed away and it, it's just lovely always to have memories. And so that connection with me and, and the fridge and food. But in my 20s, I lost weight. Like 16, I joined Slibbing World, all of these and groups, which are amazing. Yeah. But I lost the weight. I felt amazing. I loved myself how I looked now. This was yeah. the external. Mm -hmm. I loved how I looked on the outside. I went out, I partied, I ate again. And the next thing, a few months later, I'm like, oh, I'm bad. Oh, my God. Why can't I be like one of my sisters never puts on weight? Why can't I be like her? I wanted to be like the girl who didn't have to exercise, didn't have to watch their weight because the minute I looked at food, I put on a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so in my thirties, I must say, I changed my relationship with exercise. Even mm -hmm. I exercised more for health before I was exercising. It was exercise was losing weight, exercise, lose weight. Exercise, that was it. I understand this relationship. It's the, it's not the best way to. Yeah. to In my thirties, I started running, but it was like, I can't keep partying and eating and drinking and up and down and yo-yo. Yeah. And, you know, so I did get something over me that was like for health yeah. reasons. So I, that was the start, but also that temperamental love from the ego, from the aesthetic, looking in the mirror, going, I look fantastic. I look, you know, good. So, but now that self-love down deep, that unconditional self-love that no matter what I look like, I will be happy. I look at my body and I say, you know, you're good. You've got this. You've, you, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy where I am. 
Whereas before, I only looked at the flaws and yes. the faults. I know about this. Yeah. Most of my clients are in this phase and I have to drive them from there to a healthier way. But you do have a poem about self-love. Okay. So I'm on a bit of a mission, really, yeah. a self-love mission. Yes. So during COVID, I wrote a poem. I was actually entering a, a poetry competition and the criteria was writing a love letter in poetic fashion, taking into account COVID. And I had never written about love. So I thought, challenge accepted. I'm going to write a poem. And I did. I wrote a poem called Loveless Letter to COVID. I blamed COVID for lack of love. Everyone was blaming COVID for everything. So I decided I'd get on that bandwagon. And after writing that poem, which is quite a funny poem, I thought, why am I writing? Why am I instantly thinking of writing a love letter to something else or somebody else? Or why don't I write a love letter to myself? Now, this was taking into account my journey. And this is what happened. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> In this COVID time, as I do alone myself find, I decide to write a letter from a truly loving mind. I write, my dear, you truly are the loving kind and beyond doubt worth loving, this letter will be signed. Oh yes, you are amazing and your love you do deserve. And from these loving thoughts, please don't ever swerve. From the unique beauty that is inside you, yes, you are as exquisite as those flowers in that bouquet. And from these thoughts, please dare not to ever stray. Instead, be led to the marriage of your heart, your soul, your mind so that your true love you can always find. Don't let that love for yourself be ever shaken. Let it be that ever fixed mark which knows no tempest from which to be ever shaken, for true love is never shaken. Not by wind, gale force, tornado or hurricane, please do not ever love yourself in vain. Do not to your heart admit self-defeating impediments. Do not let your love for yourself be stained with sediments of unworthy, undeserving thoughts as they simply are not true, as you are always worthy of love for simply being the miracle of you. For when you learn to love yourself, there begins a love affair that surpasses time and space and you shall grow all beautifully nourished, full of grace. We really must be our own before another's, so beware if in your mind your love for you it smothers. Learn to love yourself and then give purely, wholeheartedly. Learn to love yourself and show others how it's done gently, lightheartedly. Acquire this self-love and a new world for you will have begun. I say this loving relationship can be conquered, can be won. Place your ear upon your heart. Listen, hear, it beats for you. Now lay your hand on your heart. Feel how it beats for you too. How blessed you are to have the honor of a beating heart that sings for you. Learn to love the music within and dance to the rhythm of that beat. Don't be time's fool. Love yourself before it's too late. 
I do admit this act proves one great magnificent feat. And if it be so that some or all of my letter is not met approved, just know on the love for myself now I shall not be moved. So I write this letter to myself as a gentle loving reminder that my beating loving heart for me beats now much ever kinder. Wow, that's so good. That's so good. I, I'm going to put in the show notes this one because uh, I think everybody wanted to read again. Uh, so, so good. And um, so tell me quickly, what do you want people to do as well? Uh, love letters. Tell me about this. The response to this poem has been amazing. I have said it in poetry competitions and Instagram, and the reaction has been, oh, I never thought of writing a letter to myself. I'm writing a letter to myself. And I met an ex-client on Friday for a year follow-up, and I told her, and she put a note in her phone, note to self, write a love letter to self. I'm going to do one. So I'm going to send to you. <laughs> I just, yeah, th thank you. So that's what I'd, I would like. So... This is just a fresh idea of, because of the response, I would love people to start their self-love journey and write, it can take a day, it can take a week, it can take a month, it can take a year, it can be a work in process. There is no right or wrong. This is a letter from you to you. Like your dearest and nearest and dearest, your beloved, we do have a habit of outwardly giving affection, compassion, empathy, but we're in, and kindness and both. What about ourselves? So, right. So, yes, what I would love is people to start a self-love movement. My mission nice. of, and also in time, maybe have an anthology of love letters to self from people. Get people to tell their story about self-love and their little poetic form. Uh, it can be in poetic form. It doesn't have to be. Um, so that's my mission in the world, Mariana, is to get people to think about themselves as in writing a love letter to themselves in a different way. And this was new on Tuesday and on Wednesday morning, I got the first person who sent me their love letter to self. And I was so happy to receive oh. it. And she said it was so therapeutic and she's shared it with other people who've said, I'm going to try that. So. Oh. Spread I'm gonna pass on. I'm gonna pass on. And can you just please? I'm gonna put in the notes, but please tell how people can find you, um, your Instagram, your website. So PA Coaching underscore for you is Instagram handle, LinkedIn Patricia Hearn PA Coaching. My website is www.pacoaching.co.uk. It's pretty straightforward. It's my initials, but in actual fact, it stands for positive autonomy. And it's basically coaching about taking ownership of your life in a positive way with love and compassion and kindness for yourself first and then outwardly. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so inspiring, so lovely. And I think we all want to hear again your poetry and get back to the pieces of the poetry and just hear again and again. Thank you so much. A pleasure. And, thank you. And for you all, see you next week at the same day, same time. Thank you. Thanks, Mariana.